Welcome to the Tom Castro Shooting Academy podcast. You have now entered the next level. All right, all right. I have a special guest. Welcome to the Tom Castro Shooting Academy next level podcast. I have Mr. Nils Jonasson. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say I have the national champion with me after the year that he had in 2022. He absolutely crushed it. Welcome, Nils. How you doing, brother? You know, Tom, I am doing absolutely awesome. Thanks for having me on. I think you had a, uh, I think you had an okay year, man. <laughs> you know, it, so I've had years that are close to this, but this uh, definitely takes the cake for the no, the most national championships won, the most major events won by myself. Right. So yeah, no, to, this year was really solid for me. And you didn't have any, um, you didn't have any easy national championships. Everything was like nail biters do like quarter of a point you know like uh, if you slipped on a rock you know if a dust flew in the air i mean you it could have went either way in quite a few of your matches this year yeah for sure and with the different nationals i've shot it's most people don't uh factor in some of the challenges associated with you know hopping divisions like carry optics is so much different than limited or production uh and just what goes into like getting ready and preparing and like the the trials and tribulations that go into all that kind of stuff like people really don't get it but uh, i can tell you that the most prestigious match that i won this year isn't the match i'm most proud of really yeah so which, i which I, match I, is that so i would argue that the most prestigious match i won this year was carry optics nationals uh, the level of competition the number of grandmasters uh the fact that there were 10 people that shot the match that could have legitimately won the whole thing. Uh, that's not something that's very common. Usually the one, two, maybe three guys duking it out. There were 10 plus people that had a shot at winning carry optics national. So <laughs> uh, just the, the, from the sheer level of competition, that was the most prestigious win for, for me this year. Um, what meant the most to me was limited nationals. I've been trying for the last three years to win this match shooting a canic in minor. And <laughs> let me tell you what, I think I won it this year for the first time ever, mind you, by 0.01% or something like that. It was ridiculously close. So that I'm the most proud of, of the limited uh, Nationals win, for sure. Unfortunately, I think that's the one you're most known for. You're, that's the one you're known most for as well. I, I don't want to say unfortunately, because all those other ones were huge accomplishments. But that was the one that I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure he cemented himself as the man at this point now. Like <laughs> I think everyone realizes, well, anybody who is real competitive in this sport, they understand the minor versus major dilemma. You know, when you're shooting against somebody shooting major, uh, I mean, obviously when you're shooting major, you have different recoil impulses, but man, you just, it's not that much different. You know, if you know how to hold the gun properly, you're going to shoot pretty darn fast as a guy with a nine millimeter. So where, where would you say the biggest disadvantage is in that aspect of that match with the limited minor versus major, other than just the, the power factor is, is there, did you have an advantage because you had more rounds than they did less? I mean, were you able to be a little more aggressive? Did you feel like your recoil management helped a little more because you were able to shoot maybe a little faster? Do you, where, where do you feel like, I mean, I know that you barely won, but so I don't know if I want to say there's an advantage there, but I mean, you won. So was there anything there that kind of maybe gave you the edge uh, in that by just having minor or was it all um, negative? <laughs> I honestly, I think the experience of me trying to do it for the last two years and finally on the third year, like coming in more prepared, more aware of 
what the disadvantages mm -hmm. were and how to cope with them. Because in years past, like I've been able to hang with these guys and I've been to I've podium the last three years at, at limited nationals. I was, can't remember if I'm third, second, now first or second, second, first, or how that exactly worked out. But um, the last couple of years, I've lost a ton of points in certain areas where this year I was able to mitigate that point loss and kind of hang with everybody a little bit closer. And that's more like on the larger field course stages where the target distances is stretched out. Um, the hit factors aren't super low. So the points, you know, in theory aren't that important, but when I drop 10 Charlies and, you know, the next fastest guy drops 15, right. I'm still five points further back than they were. Right. And even if we, sh even if I shot a half second faster, it doesn't matter. So on stages like that, just mitigating that disadvantage from the minor, um, I think helped probably the most. In the, in the three matches that you've shot, the three the three in a row here, do you feel like this match versus any other match gave you a more opportunity to to win this year? Like, in other words, did the other two years... This was probably the hardest one to do it in. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're just, uh, so you're just stacking up the difficulty, aren't you? <laughs> well, and, I, and I say that because this match had a lot of, like, larger field courses, lots of, like, swingers at distance. So the opportunity to, to drop a ton of points was there. Yeah. Um, where, I mean, obviously that's the case in other matches too, but I, I feel like there were a lot more um, difficult distance shots at this limited nationals than there have been in years past. Yeah. Well, that we shot it with open too, correct? If I remember correctly. So that was, yeah. Yeah. So that, that also doesn't help limited as much because they're going to stretch it out a little bit farther because of the red dots on the uh, open guns. But well, it was funny because it was a back-to-back -back format and the next match was production paired with PCC, <laughs> which made all the sense in the world. <laughs> yeah, I think they helped the PCC guys a little bit on that one because <laughs> yeah, they didn't really stretch it out very much. It was an easier match when they finished the changeover for production for sure. Which which I was surprised that it was easier. Um, I figured that, I mean, obviously you're not going to do a, a bunch of 50 yarders out there with guys with iron sights, but you also expected it to be I think they only had one stage with long shots. Everything else, I don't even remember seeing a lot of twenties or twenty fives. It was just one stage with that, with the metal behind the the, the targets that was thirty five yards. There was a couple there, but other than that, that was it. I don't remember really seeing a lot of long shots. So it was, yeah. Uh, so the big thing they changed uh, from my perspective was the the fundamental stages, like the standard style, where it's like yeah. strong hand weekend type stuff. The shooting challenge on those stages for the second match was a lot. <sighs> uh more lenient for people that made mistakes here or there where before like if you you know did a little thing wrong like it was a massive point drop yeah. so i think that was probably the biggest difference between the two matches yeah um all right well so i mean i'm glad we jumped right into it so let me go through a couple of the things that he accomplished this year just in case you don't know who this man is so because um if you're anything like i was when i first started i didn't know any anybody who was good so i learned as i was getting my butt kicked and i still am by these guys i start to learn who's good and who's not so so some of his accomplishments this year alone i want you guys to all realize this is one year that he's accomplished this okay all of 2022 so he wins single stack nationals yes he does shoot other things but uh, a canic, even though he's, he loves his canic. I know it. Cause I, I'd love mine as well. He was first in IDPA carry optics first in production nationals first in carry optics nationals first in limited shooting minor. Always make sure you say that it, it limited nationals first at area five. And I know that one personally, because that one hurt. That was, that, that was one, a tough match. That, that, that was, was one match. of the more difficult matches this year is crazy. 
I think that was the toughest match I've ever shot. And it get, it was a big learning lesson for me. Um, I learned how to shoot majors at that match, not because of how difficult I learned how to manage matches. Right. So we had a long talk after that. <laughs> we talked a long time after that match. Um, and then I talked to you at nationals right after that. And we had quite a few talks about um, a lot of things. So if anybody knows, I go to Nils quite a bit after matches and try to get some tips, uh, not even shooting, just right here in the head. So, you know, these guys all have been shooting a lot longer than me. So I go to the guys that I know they got their shit together in their brain and I go talk to them and try to get some tips on how to manage matches. And uh, area five was a big one for me because it was a difficult match, but I was winning at the first day by quite a few points. And um I lost by quite a few points on day two and Nils just happened to be the guy who put a butt whooping on me and he was coming to the last stage of the day, which I was super excited. Not that I ever want to see anybody mess up, but I'm like, I got a chance. This happened to be on the 25 yard one handed shooting with hardcover and it was a Virginia count stage. Yeah. Nils really screwed it up. He won the stage high overall murders everybody with the match on the line. Yeah, that'll just kind of tell you how it is to shoot against Nils. But <laughs> so first in carry optics, area five, and then third place standard in the world shoot. I want you to understand something. The world shoot is after he has a year of traveling and, and going everywhere, and he still takes third place at world shoot, even though he doesn't want to hear about that third place. That is still a hell of an accomplishment. So that's kind of how we are as shooters, though. Dude, that's a hell of a year, bro. Like there's yeah. people that don't even have that as their entire career in this sport. No, I was, I was very happy with how last year went and uh, at the world shoot, I got to hand it to those Filipino kids. They both shot with their pants on fire. Uh, they connected more often than they didn't. Uh, they both shot phenomenally well. And I, with the amount of preparation I was able to put into standard division, uh, I was, I was happy to come away with third place. Do you think, um, so I hear this quite a bit and I don't, I don't agree. So I'm interested in see what you think. Do you think you have to shoot IDPA different than you shoot USPSA? I mean, it's all alpha. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah, you have to shoot it different? Absolutely. Okay. Can you explain to me why? Cause you have obviously a lot more experience, obviously going to world shoot and shooting all these at nationals. So. Yeah. So think of it this way. Uh, every time you drop a Charlie shooting minor in USPSA, um, you drop two points, right? So how much that hurts you depends on the hit factor of the stage. Right. If it's a 10 hit factor, that mathematically works out to two tenths of a second, right? As the hit factor decreases, the cost of, those, of that Charlie increases. IDPA is the equivalent of a two hit factor stage, meaning oh, every okay. single shot you fire outside of the A zone, or in their case, the zero down, it's a right. second added to your time. So you can stand around and twiddle your thumbs, aim, press the trigger, grip the gun, breathe, right. think like, you know, sing Kumbaya a lot in one second for yeah. every single point you drop. So yes, you have to approach it differently. Um, visual patience is a huge deal in IDPA, at least for me. Um, and then another thing IDPA has got going against it for people like that like to go really fast, push boundaries and that kind of thing. It's time plus. So everything, so if you shoot stage one in 10 seconds, you should shoot stage three in 10 seconds, you know, you have 20 seconds, right? In USPSA, if you crush a stage, great. You, you know, put five points on the, on the last guy. If you zero the stage, 
you can only lose the number of points that are available in that stage. So if it's a 60 point stage, you lost 60 points. And the matches are generally between 1500 and 2000 points for a nationals, right? In IDPA, if your gun doesn't work or you bomb a stage or you have a bunch of misses or something and you turn a 10 second run into a 50 second run, now you're 40 seconds back. You're not making up <laughs> not 40 seconds. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Unless everybody else does the same thing, there's no way you can do it. So it's a very it's very much a game of shooting within yourself, shooting, I don't want to say super controlled, but shooting good enough to hit the target where you want to all the time. Right. You know, it's it's you shooting the best you can, like let everybody else do their own thing, let them shoot super fast and drop points. That's fine. Your job is to shoot the middle of the target. Do you change the way you shoot IPSC compared to USPSA? Um, it it kind of depends on the stage. It's hit factor scoring. So it's a very high hit factor stage, you know, points matter less. Um, I think generally IPSC hit factors are lower. So the points are more important. So in a way. Do you play the numbers a lot when you shoot matches? Yeah. I mean, you're aware of it. Uh, right. I have a little stopwatch. So I'll, uh, in my mind, run through the stage and then, you know, hit the stopwatch and figure out what my estimated time would be and what that would uh, associate with you know, to a hit factor. Um, so I have an idea of what my points down would be worth. But, you know, even on a 10 hit factor stage, if you drop a Charlie, that's two tenths of a second. You do that a couple of times, you're adding seconds to your score. Yeah. So it's always better to hit the middle of the target. If you can shoot, you know, way faster than the next than the next guy yeah dropping points is fine but that's not sustainable well the goal is never yeah the goal is never to drop points (laughs) i just i have the uh i just hate the old slow down and get your hits thing and so like people will i'll hear this all the time in all the sports id that's a bunch of bs yeah it's it's especially when you know score time is part of our scoring right like if you i mean because i'm going to tell you if somebody's going to go slow especially at our level you're done right? You got to go, like you got to go and get hits. <laughs> right. So you have to do both together. So I hear this slow down and get your hits. And I'm just like, yeah, but it's easier to slow down than it is to get someone to go faster most of the time, especially as much as I coach. So it's like, oh my goodness. Well, and a lot of times if you, if you consciously slow down, you actually, or at least I become less accurate. Oh, right? it's worse. Now you're, now yeah. you're overthinking things. You're not shooting uh, intuitively or instinctively. Like you're doing things consciously, which is never as good as doing right. it you know, unconsciously or subconsciously, but no, you shoot your sights. If you, you can shoot as fast as you can see, right? Like right. if your sights are on the target, you should have been pressing the trigger. If your dots on the target, you should be pressing the trigger. And if it's not on the target, you need to recognize that and have the patience to be like, Oh, dumbass. Like maybe you want to put that in the middle of the target or at least on the steel before you pull it, you know, a miss, <laughs> but visual patience is a thing. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I've heard it like time and time again, like you're saying, you know, slow down, get your hits or slow as. Yeah. No, no, don't even say fast, it. Something yeah, like that. Garbage. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, efficient is fast. Right. Um, smooth yeah. can be efficient. Smooth can also be really slow and inefficient. Yeah. Uh, and I know some people that teach, uh, you know, certain aspects of movement or whatever. And like, technically, you know, they might be right in some, in, you know, some aspects of that, but a lot of times it's, it's taking away from other you know, it's taken away from the shooting, right? If you're so focused on movement and your shooting suffers, what was the point? If you're so focused on shooting and your movement suffers, it's kind of like a a balancing act, right? Like everything. Yeah. I just talked, actually, I just made a post about that the other day about how 
gravity is not your friend. And I've actually, it's so funny because as soon as like there's topics that pop up in my head and then all of a sudden, like, so I swear social media has like a chip in our brains and knows exactly what we're thinking about. And I watch all these videos of guys leaning out and talking about like falling and shooting. And then I'm lucky enough to see that they put it in slow motion and you can watch the, 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 the gun go bang. Bang. And I'm like, you just slowed your shooting down. Right. Because you decided to lean out and use gravity. But if you would have just stood and used your power out of your legs and, and left on the second shot at the proper time, now you control your body and you're going to be more accurate and you're going to shoot faster. It just, right. it's just kind of interesting. The more I, I see things, it's like, oh man, like, okay, it's about controlling that stuff. It's about, you know, again, it's about when you leave, it's not just leaving. So like you said, movement, and I'm actually teaching a couple students right now where their movement is dominating their shooting. Like the gun's the last thing they care about. They just care about getting into the spot really fast. And I'm like, it feels right. good, but it's not scoring points. <laughs> well, when you run into the position, even if you're faster than the other guy, you run into the position and then you have to pick your gun up, line yeah. up your sights, then press your trigger and <laughs> yeah. then, you know, do it all over again. Like you're a little yeah. bit behind the eight ball on that. Right. You don't even realize you're slower. So. Right. But I mean, there, there are times to aggressively move if you can blend a position and without sacrificing either hits or shooting speed. Right. Right. Like if you can, and sometimes even if you sacrifice a little bit of shooting speed, if you blend a position to where it's basically one instead of two, it could be worth it. But if you're moving just for the sake of moving on and shooting, yeah, you know, reevaluate <laughs> why you're doing it. Right. If, you, right. if the point is, is to have a better score, right. it may not be the right answer in that scenario. Right. I've learned that at uh, nationals in the last mm -hmm. uh, two years, I learned that, you move where you need to move. It's not just move constantly. I noticed it's kind of interesting how nationals is a stop and shoot match 99% of the time, but you can go to all these air, giant area matches, your big level twos, your, you know, and everything's like, let's rip or like, not just close, but you can move a lot more. You can be a more aggressive. And then they go to nationals. It's like, all right, let's all stop and shoot. I'm like, wait, wh what happened to all year? <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of different, you know, and it's, and I don't think they do it intentionally. I just think it's the way, it gets set up or just kind of falls in that, in, in that rhythm, I guess it's just kind of interesting. So I had to learn yeah. a very valuable lesson with a couple of ass kickings in the last two years at nationals about like, you got to learn to play the game. Right. And stage design plays a role in that. Yeah. Um, uh, the Ipsic world shoot this year um, was very much run to this position, shoot, run to this other position and shoot. And your, your options for stage breakdown were very, very limited. In fact, of the three world shoots I've shot, this is the most limiting nationals from a, a stage planning standpoint, or a, the most limiting world shoot from a stage planning standpoint. Like there were very, very few options. Would you, was this more one of the more difficult uh, world shoots that you shot? It was a lot of crazy movers, but I mean, they're kind of known for that, aren't they, as world shoots in general? Yeah, I didn't really think so. I thought the, the, the shot difficulty in France was a lot harder than in Thailand this last month. Uh, and they had some challenging swingers and plates and things like that, but I think France was harder. Yeah. And France gave your... you more, and France gave you more options, right? Like you could break the stage right. down and shoot the stage based on your strengths and weaknesses right. rather than, all right, turn off your brain, run here, <laughs> shoot on there, shoot. Yeah. So you're, uh, at this, at this world shoot, would you have preferred to have a red dot or do you, I mean, I know you love iron sights. So like you're a big iron sight guy, correct? Still like you really like them. You know, I think in the last couple of years, I'm, I'm changing my opinion on that. I still love iron sights right. and that's kind of my, my background. Um, 
I think if I, if I was smart, I probably would have switched to production optics, um, and, you know, run the gun I've run all year and shoot, right. shoot that with the Canik. Um, but I qualified for this match five years ago, right. And it's been yeah. postponed <laughs> and postponed because of COVID and all that kind right. of stuff. So it was really a question of, do I abandon the U S standard team, leave them, you know, a solid shooter short and no chance at winning a team event or podiuming, um, and, you know, pursue like a singles, uh, individual medal, or do I stick with, you know, what I committed to? And that's what I ended up doing, you know, the red dot is a lot of fun and that's a whole kind of other conversation. Um, but yes, I enjoy shooting iron sights. That's where I came from. I'm a big red dot guy, obviously, but, uh, I am actually going to be, uh, I just picked up a second Kinnick. Uh, it happens to be a rival because I love the rival. Um, but I had a, um, I had a a shooter that comes to our range all the time. And he's like, Hey man, I want to get rid of this thing. It's got a hundred rounds on it. He did everything that I did to mine, which is almost nothing since the gun comes out of the box. Great. Um, and I was just like, all right, I'll take it, <laughs> you know, a couple extra mags. I nice. was just like, I got 400 mags up for the other one. This one will go into that one. And, uh, now I have an iron sight site, but my big thing was just having a backup in case. Um, not that I've the TP nine SFX that I shot for, God, I think it was over a year. That was, uh, it was pointless to have two of those, but I always had two just because in case, but I never broke it. Um, I've been shooting the rival. I probably have close to 10,000 rounds out of it now. And, um, I only have, I only had one problem with it. It was, I took a rag and brought it up through the magwell, and I moved the slide release, um, mm. uh, spring. There's like a little bar in there that holds that mag release down and I never bent it back properly. <laughs> so I was like getting these random, like slide locks. And I'm like, I don't have, I have bullets. What's going on. And, uh, so I, after once I figured that out and bent it back to where it belonged because I shouldn't have ran a rag through it like that. I was like, oh, okay, that was, it. I've never had an issue with it. So it just, it shoots great. But, um, I mean, that kind of brings me into the next topic I have for you is I saw the rival in your hand. I mean, I think it was like the day before it came out and how much of that did you have input on? like with making, creating the rival, because it has taken over in many ways in especially carry optics. I mean, sure. I, I I cannot tell you how many people have messaged me to ask me if I'm getting the new steel frame, which we will talk about in a minute after this, but I cannot tell you how many people, are you getting the steel one? Are you getting this? I'm like, wow, everybody must know I shoot a canic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've probably had 20 messages about that steel frame if I'm getting it or not. <laughs> yeah, that one will be pretty popular. Um, no, as far as my involvement with the rival, um, it, it's that was a couple of years in, in the in the R&D process. Uh, that was many trips to and from Turkey. Uh, their R&D team in Turkey is is an awesome group of guys. Uh, the, the capabilities they've got, um, the design stuff they can do is, is interesting. Um, and I remember one instance where we're sitting around a kind of a, a meeting table and, you know, we're talking about designs, changing on the frame, the slide, and all this kind of stuff. And then we go to lunch and then we come back from lunch and the R&D team has proto, like multiple prototypes of what we discussed an what? hour and a half earlier wow. on the table for us to evaluate. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so their R and D team at, at Canic is is the best I've ever seen. Well, you're not. Um, um, it's probably not cheap to get you there, so they better hustle when you're there. <laughs> well, it, that's true, but it's it's a lot easier and faster than getting temporary imports for you know every you know sure. potential revision on a gun. 
Uh, but as far as input, I mean, a lot of the frame features, a lot of the slide features, uh, the fact that it's five inches instead of 5.2, just so it falls within the IPSC uh, production oh, nice. uh, box or their rules. They have a, a barrel length limit rather than a box. And the original TP9SFX was 0.2 inches too long. So we fixed that with the rival. Um, we added the adjustable rear sights for that, but you know, like super aggressive concentrations in the slides. So you're not going to slip off the slide, even if you, you know, hands are wet or something like that. So just a lot of stuff that makes the gun easier to shoot, more comfortable to shoot and faster. So, so and if it's I, easier for me and you to shoot, it's easier for the average guy to shoot. Right. So, so I, I will tell you the biggest, um, thing that I wanted the rival, the rival for was, well, two things about the rival, the trigger, um, the TP9 SFX had an amazing trigger out of the box. It was, you know, obviously there was a lot of slop at the beginning to get rid of, which, yep. you know, that's how it works. It's not, it wasn't, they never designed any of these for competition. Correct. They just happened to become them. Uh, so the original TP9, I don't think they had any kind of uh, competition aspirations. I'm pretty sure the SFX, the TP9 SFX, the original, uh, had some inspiration in the competition world. That was gotcha. before I, I started with Canon. Okay. And, th and that gun before the rival, I mean, was super popular. That was their best-selling gun. Yeah. Like that's kind of what got them one. known in the United States, yeah. you know, years ago is that TP9 SFX. I almost didn't buy the rival because I loved the TP9. I know SFX. you do. <laughs> I was like, I was like, nah, dude, I don't need that. I don't, I don't need a new gun. My gun runs great. Like I, I probably have 30, 40,000 rounds in one of those guns. And I have it. I remember talking to you and actually, uh, I met your, I talked to your wife way more than I ever talked to you. I shot with uh, production nationals with her yep. and I was, I, I, I was hilarious because we were talking about, I was like, how many people just talk to you to talk to Nils? And she's like, oh, I had somebody come up to me and ask me about ammo. And hey, I want to talk to Nils. And she's like, and I was like, if anybody knows his wife, Jessica, you don't want to go to her to talk to Nils. <laughs> she is one of the best people I've met in this store. She's so awesome. So I was like, she will let you know what she thinks like that <laughs> yeah jessica's not kidding around i mean if you, if you say so, something dumb she'll tell you <laughs> yeah you're not gonna get through jessica to get nils and get an ammo or get a gun <laughs> but i remember that now actually production nationals when i asked you a little bit about um about you know how many rounds did you have out of your gun and uh there was one gun you had where you were like yeah i don't even shoot it in in my matches anymore because i have so many I, I don't even change the spring i mean you were it had like 50 70 000 rounds or something and you were like yeah it runs great i just it's just got so many rounds and i have this newer one so i just use this just but the other one is i mean it's just i still runs and that's been my experience with it as well and, and the rival honestly I did like four classes in a row and I didn't clean it, which is unusual. I just was so busy and I, it just, it, it's so, it was so dirty and people were like, dude, how, how disgusting. I mean, you couldn't touch the inside of the mag. Well, no, it was so gross. I was like, it just runs like, you know, I, it's, I don't want it to be like this, but I'm busy. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it says a lot about their product and uh, they make them to be a shooter, right? A lot of some guns you'll see, they're just really pretty. Um, but the improvements that they made on this, you, how much input did you have on this specific pistol, the rival? Uh, I had quite a bit of input. Um, pretty much every, like, yeah, anywhere you look, I, I definitely had input on the pistol. I can't so take the all the credit for were, it. Right. Yeah, I, I can't <laughs> take all the credit for it. Because right. like I said, the R&D team is awesome. And the guys right. over in Turkey are, are spot on. 
Do they uh, shoot competition? So in Turkey, the gun laws are pretty barbaric. Um, right. They they can't do what we do here. Okay. Um, the cost equivalent to do like to buy a pistol is probably ten times oh. whatever it costs us. Goodness. So if the gun costs five hundred bucks here, it costs five thousand dollars there. Like it's insane. And then That's they great. have they have you know permits and licensing that they need to renew on an annual basis. And a permit for a firearm would be you know like five thousand dollars, right? <laughs> so and they can only have so much ammunition and like it's it's bad. So how do they um, start up? Why would you ever start a pistol or a firearms company in a country like that? Or you know, like I know I see I notice a lot of places like like gun companies have factories in some of the worst gun hating states in America. And I'm just like, why? I know they've probably just been there forever and it costs a fortune to move everything, but why? It's just kind of it's interesting how it seems like those are always where you find the manufacturers of firearms where they're yeah, hated. That is a most. good question. That is a good question. Uh, I know where Canik is located in Samsun, Turkey. Uh, it's kind of known for manufacturing. Okay. So there's a lot of manufacturing, you know, and uh, Canik started out and still is uh, a kind of a, a brother company to an aerospace manufacturer. Oh, nice. Yeah. That so might be why I, they have a good R&D team. <laughs> they have, well, they have a good R&D team for that, but that's also one of the reasons that, uh, you know, their guns are so inexpensive. Yeah. is because they have the resources to pull mm. from this other company that's much bigger that makes and sense and so their economies of scale are are above and beyond what just a regular firearms manufacturer would normally be yeah that's have you so i mean obviously you've been to their factory i mean are they just pumping those things out as fast as they can make them at this point pretty much yeah and they're and over the last you know several years they've expanded you know manufacturing capabilities they've increased buildings and things like that um so yes basically. So, I mean, that brings me to a question I had for, well, let me, before I leave that, I want to talk a little bit about the rival. Um, this is not a rival uh, podcast, but since we both love this gun, since he made this, I want to talk about his amazing, well, so let, helped, let me, so, so on, on, on your competition gun, are you still running the factory trigger or are you running uh, one of the freedom Smith drop-ins factory trigger, bro? <laughs> me too. It yeah. is so good. I don't know why you would touch it. I mean, it is so good. I, it's funny. Cause it's, I don't get paid by Canic. They, it's just, I, I, I actually just had a uh, podcast with uh, Joel Park and um, Andreas from Practical Shooting Group. And they, we were talking about pistols and, the, and I, they were asking me about the divisions. And I said, first of all, carry optics all day. I, there's just, it just makes my blood boil. Like I just get fired up for it. Um, I love everything about it. I love the equipment. Uh, but, and they were like, well, you know, this and that. And actually, I, Hope I talked him into it, but Andreas had a problem with another manufacturer's firearm and he just bought a rival. And I was like, dude, try it. I'm telling you, it's amazing. And he's like, it's really good. And I'm like, you've only been shooting it for about two weeks. Wait until Perfect. you really get that thing in your hand. And, and like, and it was really cool. And he's an iron sight guy. So it was even better. Cause it was like, look, you, you know, they've, you've improved with the adjustable sights. And there's a lot of things that you guys did for more of an iron sight division that it, there's a lot of great things. But yeah, I, the only thing I change on my pistol is the tungsten guide rod only because I don't like Canic tends to be a little bit oversprung because of the ammo that they design it for, right? Like the design for NATO ammo. Yeah, you're not <laughs> and, wrong. Un and unfortunately, and I remember going onto the forums and defending this for over a year. And then I finally just gave up. 
uh, people are like, oh, they don't work. And I'm like, dude, they're not designed for us. They're, you know, like you're, they're not designed for powder puff. So like, if you change that spring, it solves that problem. And they're like, and then once you did, it worked. Um, the Magwell difference, in, or the other thing that I change is I put a weighted backstrap on. Um, Which one do you use? Do you use the lock grip or do you use the uh, Taylor Freelance? I use the Taylor Freelance. I believe the one that I bought has the lock grip on it. Okay. So I haven't really had a chance to shoot the new one and see, you know, the difference between the two. I'm actually going to shoot like, this is gross to me, but I'm going to shoot iron sights this weekend at a classifier match. I'm going to go try to do a GM production run with no practice after three weeks. I'm just going to drop the irons in and let's rock and roll. So we're going to see how it goes. But nice. uh, I, I, um, I have one match at the beginning of the year before I can go back to my pistol dream. And uh, I got to shoot some PCC for a little bit for uh, Pan American games. That, that was scheduled four years ago. <laughs> That's how long I was supposed to shoot that match or three years ago, whatever it was. It was basically when the world shoot was supposed to happen. <laughs> they had one over here in uh, Florida. Right. And, uh, so, got so this, yeah, this year it's the, the Pan American extreme, I think extreme. they're calling it. Yeah. And then last yeah. year, um, right before, nationals i believe it was the pan american just the regular pan american yeah pan american games or so i don't know that's the one actually i saw you there uh that's the one you shot um i thought you shot did you shoot limited or carry optics that time? i shot i shot production optics light right so which is funny because that's when i was that's when we actually had that conversation i was like you're going to the world shoot are you shooting carry optics you're like nope i'm like what the hell (laughs) but you had you had just as much as i want to It was bad timing for that, that whole match. Um, it was kind of interesting that I saw, I thought for sure they were going to suspend that match and just kind of go to the next one. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they finally had it. Uh, and I'm also glad that they're just going to base their time schedule off of this previous year. So now they're right. going to go every three years, go moving forward. Yeah. Um, part of me expected them to, you know, you know, postpone it another year and just roll on to the regular three-year cycle right uh but it was a pleasant surprise to actually see the match happen i I will say i'm glad for the guys that earned it because you know the guys that earned it three years ago four years whatever the hell however long it was ago they they earned it they should have had the opportunity to go do their world shoot it's not something you get to do every day um once you get that spot you should get to go. It sucks that you did. I mean, I noticed, I saw a lot of people drop out that earned their spot. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I just think timing was just, it didn't work, you know? So it just kind of, well, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's it's an expensive trip. Like the flights to Asia are not inexpensive. No, Um, (laughs) nothing over there really was that cheap hotels, I guess, weren't too bad. Um, Food is cheap, but you also, you know, risk food poisoning and water poisoning and <laughs> Get eaten by a snake. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, all right. So I have a question about your uh, sponsorship. So we, you were talking about how you've been involved with, how long have you been uh, shooting for Canik? So since uh, early 2019. So 2019. So going into what, two years now? So we're going into, two, we're going into this three is tw- 2023. Woo. Okay. Here that's, we go. <laughs> uh, that's over four years, <laughs> four years. All right. So you're going to go, you've got four years going into them. How did you get with Canik? I'm interested in how they, did they come to you? Did you go to them? How did they find you or did you find them? Yeah. So they actually had a headhunter uh, kind of do some research and talk to his group of competition shooter friends. Um, and so they reached out to me and they were like, Hey, this is kind of what we're looking for. Are you interested in shooting our gun? And my response was, 
send me one, let me shoot it, let me see if it can work, right? Because if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter how much money you've got. Right. Like if, I, if I'm if i at such a disadvantage, there's no way I, that it's going to be a situation that I'll, I'll put myself in. Um, so they sent me a gun and I shot it for three months, two, two and a half, three months and shot it under the radar. didn't post any videos, that kind of thing. And <laughs> then I called him back. I'm like, you know what? This can work because yeah. the gunshot spot on the gun was hundred percent reliable. The trigger out of the box even is money and you can make it better. The original TP9 SFX, you throw a freedom Smith trigger in there and you take out all that pre-travel and like the gun can run. Uh, so I called him back. I'm like, you know what? Let's talk. Yeah, I, I probably sold a um, hundred of those triggers <laughs> because they do a good job. They're uh, they make a good product. I, I have not tried it in the rival just because this one was so great. Like the stock trigger is amazing. I haven't even changed the springer. The spring. Everyone was like, "Did you change the spring?" I was like, "Dude, it's amazing. I don't. It's it's perfect. Like I don't I don't need to breathe on it to make it go bang. It works great. I can trigger right. prep it. I can actually be aggressive as hell on the trigger and know that it's not just going to accidentally go off. It just it it really works well. So do you do a, are you technically an employee of Canic or are you do it like a subcontract kind of thing? Do they, I, I was just very interested in how the, the sponsorship works for guys like you, because well, you just want every damn match that you went to almost. So obviously any manufacturer would love to throw their gun in your hand. So what, how does Canic keep you? Obviously you're a loyal person. That's why you've been with them for four years now, but how, do, how does that work? Like, do they, contract you do they are you working for them now yeah so since the beginning i've technically been a contract employee uh, so you know i get a 1099 and all that kind right. of stuff uh, and i'm sure everyone's you know sponsorship deal depending on the company is different uh, right. so i can't speak to everyone um so there's a portion of that there's a certain portion of uh, like performance um like contingency type thing so if i go in a match and i do well um i'll, I'll get some reward from that um, but as far as staying with Canic, like, I think it's a lot more than just, and this probably sounds cliche, but more of a, a family environment. Like they don't care, you know, about the wins. They don't care about right. the money as much. Right. Not that that's not important, but like, it's a very, um, they want to, they've been very gracious to me. They've, you know, made me part of the family. Uh, the owner Uku in Turkey is an awesome guy. I get along really well with him and his family. Uh, and the U.S. space. So Canix imported by Century Arms. Uh, so the Century Arms people are awesome people to work with, and Canic out of Turkey is top-notch. So I think it's more of a family thing in addition to, like, kind of the monetary side of it. I mean, you are a, uh, you're a great representative of their company. I mean, honestly, you are. Not, and it has nothing to do with your wins. Like, I, I didn't know you when I first came up to you and asked you about the Canic. And I was, I, I was struggling with the old factory spring with the TP nine SFX. And I came up to you having never met you. And I was like, uh, actually, I think it's hilarious. I met you and your wife at Chili's and I could not remember who you were. Cause I don't, I'm not a very good fanboy, right? I remember, just, I remember yes, this. <laughs> you remember this? I was like, I, I, don't, do. even, I, I don't even remember. I, I didn't remember anybody's name. I didn't remember, that, I didn't remember yeah. that was you. <laughs> so I walk up to Nils at Chili's and I go, Hey, it's you. I'm like, I'm retarded. I know I'm dumb. And his wife, Jessica, 
which she's just like, who the F is this guy, right? It's hilarious. So you were gracious enough to um, help me with my answers. And even though I was an idiot and didn't actually know your name, uh, well, I knew your name and I knew who you were, but I couldn't get it out when I, it was like meeting my uh, superstar right. <laughs> for the first time. And uh, so we, I don't know, hell, we probably talked standing, waiting for a table for over 30 minutes about, you know, how to fix the gun and everything. It basically just changed the few springs that I needed to change. Um, but the interesting part is the gun ran that entire nationals with that terrible spring setup. I didn't have a single jam, but while I was warming up, I was having jams. I was freaking out. So, uh, it, it was what it was, but I was just like, dude, I, I can't go, I'm going into nationals here and I don't have a gun that works. I had switched over from the shadow two with it for the canic because my shadow two wasn't working. <laughs> So not that that gun's bad. I, I don't want to say it's a bad gun. It was just like, I was just, uh, it was interesting trade changeover. So, um, but yeah, I, I actually, I forgot about that story, how I met you at Chili's and I just like, Hey, it's, it's you, the can it guy. <laughs> That's hilarious. And Je I remember Jessica's face, like this son of a bitch doesn't even know who you are. And actually the other thing that she said was, Oh, I'm just, here i guess like because nobody i never talked to her i just introduced <laughs> myself to you i didn't know who she was <laughs> yeah i remember oh, that. that was so that was good funny. times uh oh yeah <laughs> what are some of the things that you were able to do uh being with canic that you wouldn't have been able to without that partnership like what are some of the things that because of your partnership with canic has really changed your life like <clears throat> where have you gone things like things that you would have never done without being with them uh, I've definitely seen more of the United States than I would have otherwise. Um, so most area matches, um, obviously there's a cost associated with traveling to all of the matches I do. Um, so a lot of the area matches like area four, area seven, area eight, that kind of thing, uh, kind of in the, the, like the Eastern part of the country, I'd normally never shoot those type of matches. So that's one thing Canix definitely gave me the opportunity to do is pursue some of the, the regional matches and matches that I wouldn't normally attend. But I mean, this last year I've shot like 24, 25 major championships and most of those are in the United States. Yeah. And so definitely traveling more in the US. Um, this last year I went to Italy uh, for the IDPA European Championship. Uh, so I probably wouldn't have done that without Canic either. <laughs> uh, that was a heck of an experience. And yeah. uh, it was in a little town, uh, Latina, Italy. Um, a little bit north of there is a, a town called Sermonita. And there's an indoor shooting range that oh, had nice. like a 14, 15 stage IDPA, you know, <laughs> national championship for That's the cool. European championship. And uh, it was awesome. We got to tour a castle, uh, spent a little while in Rome, saw the Colosseum and stuff like that. So that was a fun trip. Did you bring Jessica on any of those trips? That was kind of a, that was a scheduling conflicts with some things. And that was yeah. actually right before the world shoot before Thailand. Uh, um, so I flew back from there and then three or four days later, we flew out to Thailand. Yeah. But uh, so it was kind of, you know, bunched up as far as the schedule, but that was a cool opportunity to, to go to Rome, go to yeah. Italy. So anybody who doesn't know his wife, Jessica, uh, she's also a shooter, a very good shooter, by the way. Um, so, I, so I asked if she went, because sometimes she'll go to the matches. Um, actually, most of the time she goes to the matches, but, you know, obviously she has a job. He has a job. So they, uh, he, he's a professional shooter. You're a professional shooter, I guess, at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. I guess you could call it that, a yeah. professional shooter. <laughs> yeah. uh, and she obviously is outside of the shooting industry as, as a career. So I just, uh, it's always interesting to see the, 
when you have double cost of travel, double ammo, it's it, it always makes me amazes me when husband and wife can keep going to the matches because it it's you you think you're splitting the cost with your significant other, but it's coming out of the same account usually, guys. Just so you know, so yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish Jessica could shoot more matches with me. I mean, this last year, I think she probably only shot maybe four or five, um, and yeah. that's mostly like you know regional matches that are close to home or maybe a nationals here or there. Like she shot uh, limited nationals and open nationals this last year. And um, or was it limited was paired with open. So she shot open nationals this year in preparation for limited national or limited world shoot in Thailand. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) And then the last minute she switched back to open because there weren't enough ladies to recognize a ladies team for standards. So she switched back to open. So her schedule has kind of been pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, I wish she was able to shoot more matches with me than she was. Yeah, I heard um, I heard there was some, uh, the world shoot team was falling apart with just participation on some areas, just because I guess people couldn't make it. Had Again, you have time maybe four years ago, you have it all planned out and then that's at work. And then four years later, you don't have the same ability to leave or shoot or job changes. It, it was, it's just, any kind of major change like that's got to be difficult to make it to those matches. I'm sure. I mean, how much did that affect your chances to go? I mean, did you, were there, is there any, at any opportunity that you didn't go, weren't going to go to the world shoot because of your schedule or were you able to squeeze it in there? Or did you have it all planned out? Um, it, it, like I said, it was kind of stacked up against the, the, uh, the European IDPA championship. Yeah. So between those two matches, I mean, I'd probably rather shoot the, uh, the Ipsic world shoot. But that was a really important match for for Canik in right. Italy. Uh, we were the title sponsor, and you know, it was super important for us. Um, so it, I was always planning on attending the World Shoot, regardless of when or where it was. Um, and it happened to work out, so that was nice. Yeah. But I mean, everything's kind of up in the air. People's financial positions change. You know, it's sometimes it sucks lighting five thousand dollars on fire. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what you're doing. Because you, I mean even if you win a national championship there or win a world shoot, it you might as well be a local. <laughs> I have a, a trophy. I have a trophy in the office uh, from my Ipsic world shoot win a couple of years ago. And that's, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. It's not a, uh, it's not, they don't, uh, there's no cash checks. There's no cash in the pocket. There's no Cadillacs at the end. Uh, you got to love this sport and just plan on never getting your money back. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. One thing you don't want to do is, you know, write down a, on a spreadsheet, your costs associated <laughs> with everything and never. like actually yeah. put that together. Pretty I sure would... cocaine would be cheaper. <laughs> and it's actually probably that's more not useful. an endorsement of no. cocaine. <laughs> it's probably uh it's probably more useful you'll probably get more things done <laughs> oh man that's awesome um okay i have another question about canics does canic have any major direction are they pushing maybe to get more into the practical shooting sports are you kind of well obviously you're leading the way in the in the practical shooting sports for sure like you are their face of of their of their company for sure i don't really know there's no other major sponsored shooter other than you correct from them that is correct uh we have a couple of guys that uh that shoot canics and wear the jersey uh frank uh, Frank the Tank yep. is one of them. Um, yep. He's a, a good ambassador for us. Um, we had Jason Bradley until he took a hiatus from uh, yeah. practical shooting. Hopefully he gets back into it. Yeah. Uh, but no, this last year, I've kind of been 
and, you know, team Canada. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they could have picked the worst guy to lead the team. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I do my best. <laughs> you, did, you, you kind of did. Okay. I mean, you didn't really make the gun look that good, but you did maybe. Okay. A few wins, you know, here and there, like the entire year, like I said, the national champion, <laughs> I mean, I was just like, other than open, I think you pretty much won every pistol division this year. I, I'm surprised they didn't uh, well, you you know do revolver. <laughs> I mean, this year I even won two gun nationals, the PCC pistol match. Yeah. That they put on over. In oh, you did the two gun. Mm-hmm. Did you win two gun? I did. Okay. So that's the one that I, I was missing. All right. So I knew there was one more. Uh, it was the two gun that I, okay. So did you shoot that with irons? Yes. I shot okay, it so in their limited division, limited division. So, so what exactly does that, cause you come from three gun, correct? Is that was one of you, where you, one of the big things you really used to do or no? So I used to shoot a lot more three gun than I do. Yeah. Um, it's not where I started. That's not, you know, what I love right. to shoot, although it's right. entertaining, it's fun. Um, definitely challenge associated with multi-gun. Um, I think two gun is a lot, a lot closer to USPSA pistol than three gun is just cause you have the ability to focus on, stuff a little bit more where three guns more just damage control it's all risk mitigation it's just <laughs> like everything's effed up but right. like how do you deal with it the best right that's yeah. that's what multi-gun is yeah. um two guns closer to uspsa pistol where you actually refine what you're doing you do it in the absolute most efficient way because everyone else is too yeah um so yeah two gun nationals uh, in colorado was a super fun match i love their format they had this year yeah, a lot of the times from what I've seen in three gun, it's uh, whoever's really good at shotgun or, or the shotgun and long distance seems to be the like most guys who suck at pistol and three gun, they can manage because um, most of those targets are semi close. But when you get into that really long distance and then the guys who have to um, reload extra, <laughs> that's the ones where I'm like, oh, that's the end of that stage. <laughs> yeah, it, no, if, if you can shoot and I, I come from the the tactical three gun world. So it's right. a two fed shotgun, usually a Benelli M2, that kind of thing. Um, if you can shoot the shotgun good enough to not miss a bunch so you right. don't have to reload it extra. If your reloads don't suck too bad, <laughs> right, and and your shotgun works, right, you can get you can get away with you, the shotgun like isn't that big a detriment. For the long range, it really depends on the match. Sometimes long range is more difficult than other matches. Um, and then the pistol, I mean, yeah, everyone can shoot pistol. Maybe you could argue that that's you know uh, a less important aspect of three gun. But if you crush a pistol stage, or if you can shoot stuff with a pistol that other people have to shoot a rifle with and then you're ahead of the game so yeah, you're if you're win. a really good pistol shooter you open your world up a little bit and you have more options and more possibilities yeah all right i got a couple more questions for you brother all right so okay, i'm really shoot. interested in your what is your opinion in uspsa versus ipsic versus idpa two two different questions there okay which one do you like the most i'm gonna guess it's uspsa since that's where i've seen you the most um but what do you like? Is there anything that you'd like to see maybe that they kind of bring from IPSC into USPSA or vice versa, IDPA? Like, is there anything from those that you'd like to bring into your favorite? So what's your favorite first? Let's start with that. I mean, probably USPSA just because that's what I shoot the most of. Um, IDPA is fun in its own right. Um, but there's it's a lot more rule driven. Like there's a lot more thinking going on in IDPA. And I don't mean that, you know, in a, in a good way. Right. Right. I mean right. That <laughs> in, uh, like think, thinking in a way that distracts you from the shooting. 
um, USPSA, it's about efficiency. It's about, you know, breaking down the stage and, you know, getting the best plan for you, uh, whether you have a, you know, strengths or weaknesses, you can kind of tailor your stage plan around those. IDPA, it's kind of like IPSC in a way where you run here, shoot this, run here, shoot that. You know, it's a lot more regimented and you have to think about other rules as far as like cover and order of engagement and that kind of thing in IDPA. So USPSA lets you, you know, be a little bit more creative, I think. Yeah. So when you, when you shoot IPSC, did you, is there things that are specific to IPSC? And actually you just shot the Pan American games in, uh, at the Frostproof. I did. And obviously you shot the, the, all the nationals this year for USPSA, and then you shot, uh, the world shoot. So between Pan American games and world shoot compared to our national championships, is there anything there that you'd like to see maybe USPSA adopt? So what IPSEC does that's unique uh, compared to USPSA is they have, I think they call it a three, two, one format for their stages. Right. So for every, um, for every field course, for every one large 32 round, you know, big field course stage, they'll have two medium courses and they'll have three speed shoots. So there's a bigger mix of low round count and very low round count stages in combination with, you know, a couple of big field courses sprinkled throughout the match. Um, so I think that format makes it way different than USPSA. Um, in USPSA, you should go to a short speed shoot stage and you tank it and you're like, ah, it's all right. It's only a 40 point <laughs> stage. In IPSC, every stage is a 40 point right. stage. Right. Yes. So you, you can't think like that. Right. Um, another thing in IPSC, they're a little, they're more strict as far as like their make readies and stuff. Like there's no sight picture. There's no dry firing, that kind of thing. Um, which I think is intended to speed up you know, the process, you know, each shooter can't have a three or four minute make ready. <laughs> um, in USPSA, there's really no limit to how long they can spend in the box, you know, visualizing. Um, I mean, other than that, aside from not being able to exit the fault lines and boundaries and stuff like that in IPSC, you know, they're pretty similar. A couple of division differences, like open is slightly different with their magazines, limited is standard in IPSC, uh, so they're more restrictive. Uh, and then 15 rounds for production, production optics. Um, I mean, other than that, it's basically the same style of shooting. Yeah. I, I, for me, the two difference, I actually haven't done the podcast on it cause I was, I've been so busy, but I have a list of basically the differences in the two that after shooting the Pan American games, which was really my biggest experience with IPSC, I had shot, you know, um, Puerto Rico a few years ago and I don't know if it was really an IPSC match. It almost felt like it was a blend. Like it just like this, the restrictions were with the, the Puerto Rico, uh, the Caribbean open or the Puerto Rico championship or whatever they call it. Um, I think this year is the Caribbean open. Yeah. Uh, it's a blend between USPSA and IPSC. Are you going to that by the way? I am. Yep. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Cause is Canik sponsoring that this year, aren't they? We are. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's why one of the reasons I asked if they, um, is Canik going to jump more into uh, the practical shooting? So I'm, I'm interested. I mean, in we we we've we've dabbled we've dabbled in in the competition shooting world for years, um, yeah. and that's kind of been a driving force, uh, along with bringing me on board with the rival and now the steel frame rival. Right. Um, I mean, it, that's definitely an important aspect for us, but the competitive shooting market compared to the gun industry as a whole is pretty small. Like it's, yeah. it's a fraction of a percent right. of the firearms we sell and right. that it doesn't mean it's, there's no purpose or no, you know, right. utility behind it because I mean, 
competition shootings a driving force for innovation. I right? agree. Yeah. Um, like we have the, the guns in our hands the most. For absolutely. Sure. <laughs> right? no, nobody shoots more rounds than we do. Like yeah. if it's going to break, we're going to break it. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're uh, going to break it. <laughs> if there's a, a better mousetrap to be made, we're going to build it. Right. So I think that's a very useful aspect of practical shooting and competition shooting as a whole is that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of where I think the separation is, is in my mindset, you know, competition shooting is everything, right? Like I don't, I'm not a big gun guy. I don't like collect guns. I don't run out and get the newest gun because it comes out. I'm not, I don't buy like 14 manufacturers. I basically buy the same canics that I already own, like a dumbass. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's just like, I find it. I like it. I shoot it. That's what I love. Right. I don't, I don't have a safe full of different firearms. Um, but then, you know, when I get myself out of my little bubble, I'm like, Oh, like there's like 400 different types of guns from different manufacturers and, and USPSA is so, like you said, so small. Um, so that's why I always wondered if, you know, like guys like can cause like SIG does, but they don't even bring a tent, right? Like they're one of our biggest sponsors in USPSA, but they don't really like show their face. It, mm-hmm. it, it always kind of weird to me that you would invest that much, but not show your face and try to get your products in people's hands. Uh, for them to yeah, try. Yeah, strange. And to me, Canik is a gun that I think Canik has gotten over that hurdle, thanks to people like you uh, in a lot of ways. But it's it's always been known as the cheap gun. Well, cheap doesn't in this scenario doesn't mean crappy. It just means price cheap, right? If that makes sense. So well, there's a different there's a difference between cheap and inexpensive. Yes. Yes. Good point inexpensive would be much better, <laughs> but it's like you, you sit there and you're like, look, if you put that in people's hands, it's instantly sold. Right. So that's why I've always wondered why we don't push more as an industry to like hands-on products. I mean, you go to a gun show, how many people buy guns because they pick it up and put it in their hands. It, they don't even shoot them at gun shows. They just put them right. in their hands and go, this feels great. I'm like, yeah, right. but it shoots like six feet to the left. I don't care. It feels good. All right, cool. It's yours. Right. I mean, so that's, I, I just, we never took that mindset to USPSA. I always thought it was kind of interesting, but again, I'm, I'm new to the sport. So maybe they have, and it just didn't work. And I don't know. Well, I think some gun companies do. Uh, I can tell you when can it, title sponsors an event we do go out with a booth and a tent and like when we did the european championships in italy uh we had a huge crew go out we did booths we did multiple booths we did displays like you could you know there were demo guns that kind of thing uh so when we sponsor a match especially a title sponsor we'll go out and make everything out of it that's pretty Um, awesome so i i don't know why other companies don't that's pretty cool. Like I said, if you, you put the canic in somebody's hand versus somebody else's, I'm, I would be a surprise if they didn't pick the canic, you know, just because of the way it feels. I mean, instantly out of the box, it just feels great. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of a huge fan of that gun. <laughs> you know, I can, I can relate. No, they've done a whole bunch of, they've done a bunch of good with the canic. Um, they've listened to their customer base. So if somebody has a comment, um, you know, we're not always able to, you know, please everyone. But, you know, we, we do the best we can and we definitely listen to our yeah. customers. You got to give up on the pleasing everybody thing. It's uh, that's an old myth. <laughs> the customer it, is not always right. Sorry. <laughs> it can be, it can be stressful. Yeah. Yeah. The, can, the, the customer is not always right.